Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the January 7, 2024 session, focusing on Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. The power of the Spirit. I'm David Cassidy. I'm David Adams. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Crystal Shepherd. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Hard to believe, but here we are, staring down uh, a brand new year and all that it brings. Which, once you start thinking about New Year's and you start thinking about the progression of years, it's really easy to start thinking about time travel. No? That's where I go logically. Yeah. As one does. <laughs> as one does. Yeah. Doctor Who thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. If you were to go back and and talk to your 20-year-ago self, 20 years ago, you go see yourself, and you say, this is what I'm doing in 2024, or this is something about my life in 2024, what would you tell yourself that would be unbelievable? You'd have trouble believing it 20 years ago. I was like not too – we got married in July, so we're about – five months into our marriage 20 years ago, I would not have believed that I would have two teenagers and a toddler. <laughs> if I had told myself that, I would have been like, you are crazy. <laughs> What's that is wrong not going to happen. Yeah, what? <laughs> but yeah, so here we are. So I would not have believed that at all. I'd have cried a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but they're all wonderful. They're, they are all wonderful and fun, and my house is bustling with energy every single day. Mm. Might have to go back a little bit more than 20 years, but I would have thought being an adult was much more fun than it is. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, hey, man, can live in my own place, no homework, can do whatever I want. And I'm like, man... I didn't know how good I had it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my answer. I, I would never have thought I'd be pastoring a church. 20 years <laughs> ago, I was not being treated very well by the church I was in and rapidly losing any desire to be in one. And so to be actually pastoring a church, that was unexpected. Mm. There are many surprises I could point to, many unpredictabilities, but... I think the one of the ones that would I think be hard for my twenty year old twenty years ago self to believe is that I would be driving an electric car these days. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I could have wrapped my head around what that might mean or look like, and it's just a reminder just how doggone fast things move anymore. Because twenty years ago, really isn't that long in the scope of things. <laughs> Uh -uh. So, no, it really isn't. Life, if nothing else, is unpredictable. It throws us curveballs. It brings us surprises. Sometimes those are good surprises. Sometimes they're not surprises. But I think as people of faith, we trust that God is at work across our lives along with us as we're having these adventures. <laughs> and, and that's part of the unpredictability, probably a good thing that we don't know what's ahead. <laughs> so we have a text from Acts today, and Crystal, would you help us get started with it? Sure. Imagine being given the gift, but no power to use it. It would be like if you were a kid receiving a coveted Christmas present, but no batteries to power it. 
The gift, while nice, would only be a thing to look at or hold, but you wouldn't have it working at its fullest potential, and it would certainly be less fun. In today's passage, we find disciples that have been given the gift of repentance, but not the Holy Spirit, to power and guide them in the life of faith. Luckily, they run into Paul as he returns to Ephesus to minister. Paul spent a significant amount of time in Ephesus ministering somewhere between two to three years. Some of his greatest missionary work was done using Ephesus as a base to spread the gospel throughout Asia. Ephesus was a bustling former port town that was a cultural, commercial, and political center. It had thriving communities of both Jews and Gentiles. In Acts 19, we find Paul returning from Galatia to Ephesus. Here he encounters 12 disciples and he poses the question if they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to which they reply that they had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul digs further to find out what baptism they received. What he finds is they have been baptized with John's baptism of repentance, but haven't moved beyond this. In effect, they know of the need to change their life, but they did not know of the one whom John pointed to or the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul carefully explains how John's baptism was a precursor to point people to the one to come, who was Jesus. They learned that John pointed to repentance and that through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, they could have a transformed life. They then are baptized in the name of Jesus and Paul lays hands on them. At this moment, they receive the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. I think it is important here to note that these disciples had repented. They had changed their ways, but they were like toys without batteries. They had not received the power that empowered them to not just change their lives, but make change in the world. Their repentance signifies a change of the mind, but their baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit empowered them to do more, speaking in tongues and prophesying, both of which break the status quo. If we look back at Pentecost and other times the Holy Spirit is given, we find manifestations of the Spirit such as speaking in tongues and prophesying. These two manifestations break out of the norm enough to call attention to what is happening. At Pentecost, it's enough for people to think that other people are drunk or up to no good. The power of the Spirit challenges assumptions. It transforms not only lives, but the very fabric of our world. Jacob Meyer says that, Prophetic speech directly challenges systems of oppression and marginalization. And he goes on to say, how can you tell if someone is a Jesus follower? From Luke's narratological vision, we see that one way that you can discern the work of the Holy Spirit in a person is by observing how they employ language, either capitulating to hegemonic speech and writing or resisting such oppression through discursive acts of dis deconstruction, and fervent denunciation. He says, may God's spirit move the church beyond mere repentance and towards such action for the good of the world. It is clear in Acts 19 and throughout history that the power of the Holy Spirit moves people to act. The transformation of repentance coupled with a changed life and the movement of the spirit affect real change in an oppressive and troubled world. This season, we have traveled through the waiting of Advent to celebrating Christmas. 
We have arrived at Epiphany, which celebrates the wise men finding the young Jesus by following a star. Once they come to him, they cannot go back the way they came. Spiritually, once we encounter Jesus in the power of the Spirit, we cannot go back to what and where we were because we are changed. We must move forward to what Howard Thurman calls the work of Christmas. He says in the poem by the same title, When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. May it be so, through the command of God our Creator, Jesus our Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit guiding us. Crystal, thank you for that. I have to say that while I was nodding as you were talking with us, my heart inside was going, but I feel powerless so much mm -hmm. of the time. And I feel like that powerlessness is a pervasive feeling in our culture, at least in this time. And yet I hear what you're saying, and I want to believe that. But I think, honestly, our feelings of powerlessness may actually keep us from being ready and willing and able and open to doing what the Spirit is about. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I think it's hard to tap into that power. I think it's scary to tap into that power, if I'm really honest, because it the power in, in, in what I've experienced in life and what I've seen of others, when, you, when that power moves, it's so much bigger than us. Mm. And it maybe pr propels us in ways that we would not have expected or to do things that we otherwise would be afraid to do. And I think setting, sometimes setting in that powerlessness is more comfortable, mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're, I don't think we're necessarily choosing that. I just think sometimes that's, it's both places are uncomfortable, but I think tapping into that power is way scarier in my view, at least from yeah. my experience. Yeah. For me, the problem is not in believing in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's believing that power has been given to me and to mm -hmm. us, mm -hmm. even though Luke, the author of Acts, when he it ends with, within the gospel, he says, stay here in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then the Pentecost story picks up with them being given this great power. And so it's there for us to understand, but I still struggle to believe that we have been given this power. And I think for me, that, that problem is believing that lie of powerlessness rather than understanding that we are so much more powerful than we believe ourselves to be. Mm. I know this sounds cheesy, but there's that line from The Exorcist keeps coming back to my brain every time you are talking about this. You know, the power of Christ compels you, the mm -hmm. priest shouting all this. And I know, yeah, we make much of that particular joke. When you're experiencing it, there's a lot that you see, find yourself doing that you didn't think was possible for you to do. And you're driven to do things that no one who knows you would think you would ever want to be doing. And you find things happening that you didn't think could ever happen. 
So to a large degree, when you're tasting of it, when you're opening yourself up and admitting that it's there, you are compelled to a certain degree to really change the world, for lack of a better way of putting it. I'll never forget. I preached a sermon. Oh, it's been years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And so, someone at the back door, because they you, you go and you filter out and you shake preacher's hand, and, and and she wasn't challenging me, but she said, what do you want us to do? Change the world? <laughs> the only thing that came out was, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I want us to do. And again, that that comes not from a disbelief in the power of God, but a disbelief in the power of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think teenagers, today's teenagers, feel like they are empowered by their faith, or do they feel a, a lot of powerlessness? And I know that's I'm making a global statement, but... Gosh, that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. There's... I... It depends on the day, because there <laughs> there are times when I see such boldness, and I almost... I want to protect and preserve the holy naivete of those teenagers when I want to say, oh, you have no idea how the world works. And that's wonderful. Protect that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I, then I also wonder how many times teenagers hear words of from, from the adults in the room or the larger community saying, you're not ready for this. You got to work your way up the ladder. Or we think we're doing well, but how many times have you heard, oh, it's th- y'all are the church of tomorrow rather than being the church right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd love to say the young will lead us, but gosh, we, we and the adults in the room do such a good job of, or poor job, you know, beating that powerfulness out of them sometimes. Mm. I was just going to say, teenagers often live without limits. They love without limits. They believe in anything's possible. And gosh, we need more of that. Yeah, kind of what you were saying, that they believe they can. I think what you were talking about, David, about us not believing that we can, I think a lot of the teenagers today believe they can and they do. Yeah. I mean, they just go do it. They don't, <laughs> they, they, you know, they don't get caught up in all the semantics of it. They just do it. Um, whereas, you know, I think those of us of older generation dip our toe in the water and we don't just dive in. And maybe that's sometimes if we're being led by the spirit, I think probably the spirit calls us to dive in a little more than dip our toes in the water. I think the spirit can warn us and have us like, take a step back. But I think more often than not, it's just go help somebody, just go do this. And that's what I've seen out of my teenagers and the teenagers that, that we're around. They just have this capacity to just do it. That's encouraging actually. Yeah. It's exciting Mm -hmm. to watch them and to see that. And they're very inclusive. Like I, I, they, they're very inclusive of others. And I find that very encouraging too. And they see, it's like they see differently than we do. Hmm. And I try to, when they're not, when my personal teenagers are not going at each other, driving me up the wall, I try (laughs) to like listen and hear what they're saying and how they're 
processing things because I think there's something we could learn from that as the church and as fellow human beings. For this passage, you're thinking about the idea there's this emerging sense of what they call the way, which was obviously the way of Jesus Christ. And eventually someday it became called Christianity. But early on, it was the way. And the way started with John. And John had his own disciples and they were doing their own thing. And people were satisfied with that. Okay, I repented. I, I did what I'm supposed to do. But that's not all there was to the way. And so when they got that deeper expression of what the way is supposed to be, and the spirit came involved, and it became something much more powerful and deep, that's when things really started to happen. And I think teenagers don't want just the halfway measure. A lot of people in churches, they just do want the halfway measure because it doesn't require much from them. I think that coming back for that deeper portion, that, that more complete experience, is something that really drives this forward. And again, we're talking about young people. I think they don't want you holding something back like that. They're in for all of it or none of it. The other thing that catches my attention, and it's in this passage as much as anything, is whenever the words, whenever words like power are used in Scripture, I'm reminded <laughs> that that notion of power is so different than our superhero notion of power, you know, the one who comes in and with great strength and ability uh, makes something happen or takes care of a situation or, and often through some level of violence, right? You know, in scripture, power tends to be a servant-like power, a humility, a power that's in humility. I don't know, is, I don't know if I'm making sense or not, but it, I know power tends to be flipped upside down in Scripture. And I think in this passage, that's encouraging in the sense that probably the Spirit's power is at work mostly in those places where our world doesn't see power. Yeah, it's a quieter, softer power. We actually do use the term soft power these days. You ever heard that phrase used? It typically means a power that's gained not through force of arms and not through an invasion, but through culture. You know, or through habits, or through things that you see in that other, from those other folks that, hey, this kind of works for me too, like that. And there are a whole lot of places that have been overcome by soft power, probably way more so than the hard power, you know, but we don't really give it a lot of credit until, of course, this day where now we have you know, every bit of propaganda you could ever want, and people are trying to reject soft power that way. We probably all know those people in our lives when, and I think usually they are the quiet type, but we've been in a gathering where whenever they raise their hand and say, I've been thinking, yeah. the room gets quiet and says, <laughs> we're about to hear the gospel right here. And it's, who is it, the old E.F. Hutton? What was it, E.F. Hutton? This when when he all, people, people would listen. Yeah, yeah, and and it's. I I wonder if it's. We've just come out of the Christmas season, and I think Joseph probably was like that, and the, the entire Christmas pageant, the man didn't get a single line, <laughs> but powerful enough nonetheless because he does what needs to be done, mm-hmm. and that that idea of and I must have missed that idea of soft power is really, I was not aware of that term, but that that's really meaningful, particularly for someone like me who makes a living with his voice, to see that there, that's not always the way to, to get one's own way or to affect change in our world. One of my 
uh, favorite books about power, and it's actually a trilogy, is the Lord of the Rings series by J.R. Tolkien. And in it, the there is a ring of power, a literal physical ring, that also symbolizes all the things that can happen when we seek after power, when we seek to be powerful. And it turns out, of course, if you've read the book or seen the films, that it is not a knight or a wizard or a general or it's none of these people that we see as powerful in our culture who solve the problem of this powerful ring. But it's one of the smallest, the hobbit, the meekest, the least dangerous of the whole batch <laughs> who ends up through character and friendship and perseverance and faith making their way to a solution. And of course, Tolkien was a lifelong Catholic, and one has to think that his ideas about power were certainly shaped by this deeper understanding that I think we've been trying to, to talk about today, about what does it look like for the, the, the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work of God in our place, in our time. And I think that is a comforting thing <laughs> to realize that our power, one, doesn't come from ourselves, and two, that it is, in fact, so good that we are not the stereotypical version of power that our world knows, but rather the kind of power we see in the person and life and ministry of Jesus Christ, who gave of himself all the way to death on a cross. That's the kind of power, this self-giving love that we see in the scriptures. And what a wonderful reminder that as we share this kind of self-giving love that we feel from God, as we share that in our lives here at the beginning of a brand new year, that's really a lot of power. We are empowered to change things, to do better, to make things better for others. May we go and give of ourselves as freely as the God who gave His Son. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.